is that? How are you doing? I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm here in the Fitzrovia area of London. Man, I got hit in the Fitzrovia once as a kid. That, that'll knock you to the ground. <laughs> From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Running down a dream. We'll look at the best summer driving tunes of all time. Well, there are a few discrepancies. We we will correct them. And electric car range anxiety replaced with charging time trauma. Plus, an electric-powered dog to go with your T-1000. Skynet has gone online, and uh, it has pets. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. You're in England, of course, doing that whole walking tour of London for music aficionados. How's that coming along? Uh, It's good. We have had three days. We've covered hundreds of miles, quite literally hundreds of miles. And uh, we've seen some really cool things. Yesterday, we went to Paul McCartney's house. He's got this very modest place not too far away from Abbey Road Studios, which we also visited, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, like, once you do the Abbey Road crossing chevrons, you know, what else is there to do? Well, there's a very cool um, Abbey Road shop now. So and they've got some really cool things to, to buy if you're a, you know, a music fan. So I bought uh, 101 pounds worth of stuff there. I did some rec- <laughs> we went to the Camden Market, did some record shopping there. Uh, we went to Amy Winehouse's house where uh, she she died. We went to Jimi Hendrix's apartments where he died. Uh, we went to Jimmy Page's place uh, where he's fighting with his next door neighbor, Robbie Williams, over some renovations. We went to where Ringo Starr used to live. We went to where John Lennon used to live. We went to um, a bunch of different studios. We went to where David Bowie was born, the house he was born in. So it's been a very, very cool thing. I'm, I'm slowly posting everything on my website. and um, if Everybody seems to be having a good time. Nobody's been left behind yet. Nobody's died. And nobody's got into any fights. So good group. It surprises me on all three of those counts, because if you do 100 kilometers of walking around London... Oh, no, we're not walking. We're not walking the whole time. Because I was going to say, because Wifey and I, we were looking at a map while we were there once, and we thought, oh, is that uh, that destination's only like five or six blocks away. It's only one tube stop away. 45 minutes later, we were still only a third of the way to the destination. It depends where you are in London. If you're in the central part of the city, everything is really, really close together. But if you look at a map and you say, oh, that's only two tube stops. Well, that's not to scale. Put it that way. You could be uh, looking for a very, very long walk. I think we need a map to finding out the best summer driving music. No, we're going to talk about this. Is it that time of year? Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. Yeah, Space. Like a true nature's child. 
I was driving with the sunroof open for the first time in the season and the music was cranked and I thought, this is an excellent opportunity. But the team put together a Spotify playlist of more than 60 tracks. And I got to tell you, I think we need to define what a summer driving song really is because I'm looking at a few of these and some of them just don't cut it for me. I saw the emails going back and forth and I thought, should I contribute to this? But no, 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 let's let's let the staff do it and see what they came up with. And uh, if I would if I'm grading this, I'm giving it a C minus. Well, there's a lot of slow stuff on there. There's some country music on there, which I, I, you know what, unless you're in a pickup truck, I don't think country music blaring out of your speakers constitutes summer driving music. So define the term for me. Okay, so a driving song should be something that you can turn up really loud with the windows down or the top down on a bright summer or fall day where the music might make your right foot a little bit heavier. (laughs) The music has to go with the activity of driving. It can't be just a good song to listen to while you're driving. It has to somehow contribute to the sensory impact of of being out on the open road on a nice day. So um, how do you want to do this? I mean, well, I put together based upon the team's lists, the top 10 ones for me. Okay. You tell me if these jive with your view on what makes your foot a little heavier. All Um, right. Blister in the Sun by the Violent Femmes. Okay. I'd go with that. Yes. When I'm out walking, I strap my stuff and I'm so strung out. to run by bruce springsteen of course bit cliche but okay fine my call my favorite was running down a dream by tom petty and the heartbreakers that is absolutely that's got to be one but right at the top you know if you're going to start the list it doesn't start with bow wow wow's i want candy which in and to itself is a fun driving song it's got to start with born to be wild by steppenwolf It's a bit, again, cliché. Oh, come on. I didn't end it with Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran. That should be banned. I mean, God bless... Radar Love by Golden Earring? Banned. Uh, Hackneyed. Been done to death. Let's let's try... Okay, I'm going to pick out a few. I will go with Little Red Corvette by, by Prince. I'll go with that. It is a little slower, but when you pull up to a stoplight, I think one of the criteria for a summer driving song is that you don't feel self-conscious about the volume level at that light. You want to keep that pumped up, and I think Little Red Corvette qualifies. I think it does. I guess I should know By the way you popped your car sideways I don't
mean, that's a good cruising song. Let's let's imagine it being um, not necessarily during the day, but in the evening or, or at night you're cruising someplace. That works. Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Absolutely. One hundred percent. There is a story behind that music video. Yeah, uh, that was done by a guy named Spike Jones. And they decided that they were going to do a send up of 70s cop shows. And it's it's still one of the greatest. It, that song, forget the video for the moment, but that song is the greatest amalgamation and crossbreeding of rock and hip hop and punk ever ever conceived. It, it's 1994 does not get old. through the list here. Lager and Ale by Kim Mitchell. I don't mind that. I didn't realize there was a Canadian content requirement on these lists. No, there's not. There's not. Oh, closing time by, by Semi-Sonic. Trucking by the Grateful Dead we can go with. I don't mind that. We have a Wake Up from the Arcade Fire, but I would have Keep the Car Running. That's a little bit better. Who put Christopher Cross Ride Like the Wind in here? You know what? I gotta go through the mailbox and find out who's responsible for that atrocity. Oh. atrocity fast car from tracy Vaughn? no 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 this is what i'm saying is that i i think the assumption was that we were talking about songs about driving no 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 this is a song that you want to crank and risk blowing out your tweeter well you do or your woofer what, what do you i thought you blew out tweeters not woofers well you blew you can blow up both if you if you're not uh if you don't have enough power you can actually really really hurt your uh or if you have too much power and you um drive some speakers that that aren't capable of of doing anything uh, that you can kill them you can just shred them yeah i never had a a tweeter blown until college yeah oh (laughs) you did better than me okay i'm gonna throw a couple in here i'm gonna say we need cracker and teen angst what the world needs now that's a that's a very good driving song i don't know what the world may need but i'm sure 
Does a band release a driving song timed with the season, much like you might with any other season, like a, a Christmas album? Of course, doesn't make any sense in July. You want that track to be played going into the big, almost the music equivalent to the movie blockbuster season. Yeah, see, now this is really difficult because people now, the music industry, tries to time everything so that a certain song has, it can be in contention for the song of the summer, whatever that nonsense means. Um, so you have to have something released right about now, frankly, about mid-May, so that it can find some traction. And then by about the end of July, the early part of August, it's all anybody's listening to. And that's the song that somehow defines that particular summer. Uh, I don't know if anything is, is in contention for that just yet. I haven't really heard read too much about it because I think this whole thing is stupid. But if you... Um, in, in, back in the day, I'm trying to think, when when did Tom Petty release Full Moon Fever? One moment, please. April 24th, 1989. There you go. So maybe there is there was some thinking there. Tom Petty stuff sounds better in, in the summertime. So that uh, th- that may have been part of the uh, the strategy. Yes. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. We're dealing, of course, with high gas prices yet again. And, and what, what are you driving now? You... I have a Jaguar F-Type 400 all-wheel drive. It absolutely guzzles gas. You're you're never going to go down the all-electric route? Oh, yeah, one day, one day. But right now, I still have too much battery anxiety. I mean, even with my, my, my cell phone, if it goes below 65%, I start to panic. It, this is a range anxiety issue with it is vehicle. It is a range anxiety with me, really. Uh, there's a, a guy named Brian here uh, on the trip with me in London, and uh, he's a car guy, too. And he's really interested in, in having an all-electric car, like a really high-tech all-electric car. But he's same thing with 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 the range anxiety he you know he doesn't want to be looking down at the at the uh, at the console and seeing that he's got 18 kilometers before his battery goes flat and then you're doomed why would you be so concerned about range anxiety considering most of us don't drive sufficiently enough to run the battery to zero anyway no this is true but i do take several trips a year for example from toronto to windsor or Toronto to someplace way north of Barrie, or Toronto to Kingston, or Toronto to Cleveland, something like that. And the idea with um, an electric car is, is, you know, when and where and how long does it take to recharge when you're on the road? Now, Tesla does have these superchargers, but they're uh, proprietary to, to, to Tesla's. Uh, the other ones that you can use with the adapters uh, can take, you know, an hour or two or longer to charge your car. This is one of the big down the disadvantages of an electric vehicle, because let's say you're driving to Kingston on the 401 and you look down at your gas gate and saying, oh, I better pull in to fill up. So you pull into a, fill, uh, a service uh, uh, a service station um, service area and uh, you, you stick the nozzle in the in the tank and you fill it up in five minutes, and, and you're gone. Uh, with an electric car, you would have to find something to do for you know 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes, whatever it takes, and then hope that, that you were the one that got to the charging point first and not somebody else in front of you who is also waiting up to 90 minutes to have their car charged. Toronto to Windsor, 
A Tesla has the ability to hold a charge for up to 539 kilometers. That is the upper end of the upper, uh, the the highest trim level of, of Tesla. So the Model S P100 with the extra battery pack. But that is also about 200 kilometers more than you would need to get from Toronto to the city of Windsor, Detroit. Right. So you're fine. Well, right. But then you would have to charge up and come home. Okay. What if we wanted to do a road trip to the East Coast? My wife has been threatening me with this for for a long time. So we want to drive from, from Toronto to Halifax. Everything has to be planned around when you can recharge the car. And until things sort themselves out, like I won't go 100% electric. I will go hybrid. My next car will definitely be a hybrid. But uh, as for all electric not yet. At the New York Times, Eric Taub wrote about, for the electric car owner, range anxiety has given away to charging time trauma. Yes. To your point. Yes. Uh, David Booth writes for the Post Media, and he talks about this being the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk to talk about when it comes to EVs, the electronic uh, electric vehicles. And uh, there are some solutions to this. One of them is to equip roads with make i guess it would be magnetic induction charging so if you are a uh, a car or driving an electric car you drive in a specific lane and over the course of x number of kilometers something embedded in the road charges your car and at the same time could charge your electric toothbrush that's it yeah so it's the same same kind of idea using inductive charging yes and there are two levels of charging that are typical a uh, level 1 standard ac outlet provides about 1 to 1 and a half kilowatts of electricity and it would take a level 1 charger 30 hours to fully charge a Ford Focus, which has a 115-mile range. Level 2 would be a professionally installed charger with a 240-volt AC outlet, like your stove would use, and delivers as many as 9 kilowatts. That cuts the charging time down to about 5.5 hours. Right. So the idea is that you pull your car into the garage, plug it in, and set the timer for overnight so you charge it for pennies. Yeah, that's that's those are the two things that Tesla tries to sell you when you uh, go into the showroom and start asking questions about the car. They would like to sell you a charger. It's a 220 volt charger. And um, there's I think you're right. I think somewhere three to five hours, something like that. Well, the automakers are trying to figure this out themselves, too, right? Like, didn't Volkswagen create this thing called Electrify America, where they want to have 350 of those higher-end charging sites all around California within, like, the next two years? Yeah, same thing with Tesla and their supercharger stations. Same thing. Uh, a network of, of, of plug-in things that would replace gas stations for, for people driving these kinds of cars. Have we standardized the plug yet? Uh, everybody gets adapters. Oh, Great. Yeah. So, so it's it's like when you're going to London, you got to bring your adapters for your iPhone. That that's it. I mean, we yeah, it's they're not big. You put them in the trunk, big deal. Um but it it is a hassle and there is no standardization just yet. What we really need are advances in battery technology. I I thought we sort of 
um, screwed it up at the very beginning by going with the battery technology and the plug-in to charge idea. Wouldn't it make a lot more sense to pull into a gas station and have some automated system remove the underside of your vehicle because the vehicles, the all electrics are now the floorboards are basically the batteries, remove that compartment and plug in replacement compartments, much like you would have replacement batteries for anything else. Forget leaving the battery permanently installed in the vehicle and charging it. Just swap them out. It'd take five minutes. And then the gas station's the one that holds on to all of these batteries, much like they're holding on to the gasoline. Maybe. Uh, although I don't know if I want a pile of lithium-ion batteries sitting behind a, a service station. <laughs> Especially with those pot-smoking kids in the back there screwing with everything. Well, you know what happens with these things? If, if let's say, you get into an accident and uh, you're a couple of the cells on your, on your battery uh, are damaged and start to burn. So they, start, they, they, get, they, they, they catch on fire. Um, if somebody comes, puts it out. Uh, and then they go away. But then the problem is that the damage has already been caused. So the other cells keep igniting. So until all 4,000 cells burn themselves out, you have this fire that keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back day after day after day. So it's a tricky thing. Uh, once these things catch fire. As I understand it, too, part of the problem that Tesla has is that a lot of the safety and emergency technology used to help uh, first responders in the event of a crash are very convoluted to disable the battery mechanism, uh, to actually use the jaws of life, because we've got high-voltage electrical wires running all throughout these vehicles now, and a firefighter just can't pull up to one of these accident sites, pull out the jaws of life, and start snipping away. No, because he could be electrocuted. That's, that's uh, again, another problem. Now, don't get me wrong. I think electric vehicles are the way of the future. We've just got a lot of things that we've got to work out, including, you know, how to deal with, with batteries, how to deal with waste, how to deal with, you know, mining and transporting and manufacturing the batteries, uh, because the raw materials come from all over the world. I mean, it, it's really interesting that that a electric vehicle isn't as um, environmentally friendly as a lot of people think. Okay, sure, it just uses clean electricity with no emissions, but do you know how much has to go into manufacturing that vehicle and those batteries and how many miles, how many kilometers around the planet all those raw materials and semi-finished materials and finished materials have to travel before it's actually assembled into a car? And that makes these vehicles worse on the environment than, than internal combustion engines. With the rare earth metals that are necessary, the process to get them out of the ground, and they call them rare earth metals for a reason. They're difficult to get. They're difficult to find in, in mass quantities, and it does a remarkable amount of damage to the environment just trying to extract them in the first place, let alone the fact that you're doing it in parts of the world where environmental regulations are substantially more laid back than they would be in, in the Western world. So to your point, very, very environmentally friendly up front to the end consumer, but the actual production of the vehicle and then the destruction of it at the end of its life cycle, damaging as well. How did we get in, into this when we were supposed to be talking about driving songs? I was asking you about your uh, your Jaguar because oh, okay. you'll be damn happy that you don't live in Vancouver, where the price for gasoline on a per liter basis hit a buck sixty. I was there in uh, March, and it was a buck forty five. And the cab driver was saying, "Yeah, it's probably going to be the worst 
summer ever for gas prices on the West Coast. Uh, there, he was saying 165, 170, 175. Yeah, they're figuring that prices will uh, hit the highest level since 2014. It's stay on average about a dollar thirty-eight per liter. And everybody always asks, why do gasoline prices go up in the summer? Well, because they first of all, there's a lot of demand because it's the peak driving season. And secondly, in the spring, the refineries have to switch over from winter gas to summer gas. And that creates a temporary shortage. Do you know why they switch from winter gasoline to summer gas and they change the chemical composition of the liquid? Mm. So it doesn't explode. What? In the giant tanks underneath a gas station, that's, of course, where the fuel is. And it gets hotter in the summer, and those fuel tanks get hotter in the summer. And so they have to change the chemical composition of gasoline so the large volumes of it don't explode in the heat. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So to your point, they have something they call the shoulder season, where they have to take these refineries offline, retool them to get ready for the summer driving season. So when they do that, you've got a build up of the raw material and a drawdown of the refined product, which increases the price of it because low supply, high demand increases the price, as we know from Economics 101. But the other element for Canadians, too, has to do with two things. One, the Canadian dollar, we're subpar against the U.S. dollar. If we were at par, our gasoline would be about 16 cents a liter cheaper than it's posted today. But the other part of it, too, is that we don't have the refinery capability in most of the country. It's limited to the West. So those of us who live east of Alberta actually are importing our gasoline uh, from other places and importing the raw material as well so that the refineries that exist on the East Coast can have something to turn into go-go juice. We don't have the pipeline between where we're pulling the stuff out of the ground in Alberta to the East Coast where all of those refineries are. So we are okay if you're in Alberta. Not so much in Vancouver because you've got the mountains and the and no pipelines. pipelines. Yeah. Exactly. The pipelines are already at capacity. So Canada has a pipeline problem. So we're buying our product from Venezuela and from the United States and elsewhere in the world that can get it to the East Coast and into provinces like Quebec and Ontario. Okay. Hang on here. So the Canadian dollar, as I'm, I'm looking at it right now, is uh, 77.7 cents U.S. Sure. Uh, what is the price of a barrel of crude right now it's about 72 dollars okay so why is the canadian dollar not going up in concert with the price of a barrel of oil that's always been the case in the past if you remember back uh in the 2000s when we were actually above par with the u.s dollar and that was because we had uh you know really expensive gas what was it 150 a barrel we're back to your pipeline problem which is uh, the world does not buy our oil, and if they buy our oil, they have to buy our dollar to buy it first, which push, pushes up the value of the Canadian dollar. But we are already basically at capacity. We cannot sell the world more than we're already selling it, so the world is already leveled off with what it is that they've got. And it's also just that much more expensive broadly to buy Canadian oil because you have to ship it by rail, which adds costs associated with it. The pipelines are already at capacity as well. And our oil is um, what they call sour crude. It's not light sweet crude as they have in Saudi Arabia. Light sweet crude is much easier for a refinery to turn into gasoline than the sour stuff. Mm. All right. Well, 
Here I am in the UK, and one Canadian dollar, well, just have a look. Pound is 174 to the Canadian dollar. I'm just doubling it. Whatever, if I see fish and chips in the shop and it's 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 nine pound fifty, I'm just thinking, okay, it's I'm paying twenty bucks. Yeah, that, that, that's that's a good rule of thumb when it comes to uh, the pound. It's 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 really and in London is a stupidly expensive city. I had a uh, a two hundred milliliter bottle of Coke uh, for two pounds fifty. Oh jeez. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Amber Healy reports the Federal Communications Commission in the U.S. is just about to roll back net neutrality regulations. Looks like they got the green light for the June 11th uh, move. But uh, she says that date should be read with some skepticism. Okay, why? Well, because nothing ever happens on time in, in Washington. Well, that's true, yeah. Uh, but the regulations would allow Internet service providers, she writes, to charge streaming companies in order to ensure they've got unfettered access to the service, of course. Basically, protection money. A group of about two dozen state attorneys general filed a lawsuit to prevent the rollbacks from taking effect, and it was led by the now former Attorney General for the state of New York. Ah. Yes, Eric Schneiderman, accused of assaulting at least four women. And we, we understand what the problem is there. Yeah, that kind of buggered things up, didn't it? Not only was this man a, a huge... Uh, I don't want to call him an enemy of Donald Trump because that's a Donald Trump line. That's that's his phrase. But um, he has definitely had been a huge opponent to a lot of the policies of Donald Trump. Uh, so not just from a political perspective, but also from a, a music perspective, because he was, uh, as Amber points out, a leader in the efforts against ticket bots. Yes, he was. That's very, very, that's very true. So the question becomes, uh, you know, what comes of the good fight when one of your best fighters turns out to not be a good man? Yeah, yeah. And th this is an ugly one. And it's really tough to find a defense if, if any of these accusations are true. It's, it's just ugly. All right, then let's sort of change the tone here. You've already got two dogs. You're right. thinking about a third? Maybe no. this one from Boston Dynamics? The robot dog? Yes. Yeah, that would drive my animals crazy. So, no. Yeah, I, I guess they would kind of have a problem with a fully autonomous four-legged robot that doesn't have a head. Yes, <laughs> they certainly would. Certainly would. Uh, you know, what was it? Uh, Akibo? Was that the Sony yes, dog? Yes, the Sony dog that was, yeah, it was just awful. Yeah, so anyone. But this one is completely different than a, a toy, is what Sony was, was putting out. They've got 10 prototypes, and they plan to build 100 more this year. The uh, unit can carry packages around an office. They show it loading a dishwasher, for example. Uh, and wait, the wait, a dog loading a dishwasher? Yeah, usually when your dog is helping you with the dishes, they're just licking the plates clean. <laughs> Okay. But the Boston Dynamics Spot Mini navigates its way around uh, and can go on a jog with you, just like your regular dog can. Okay. Outside of doing the dishes, I don't know why you'd want one of these things. I, I don't know either. Um, it's just weird. This uh, dog reminds me of when I had a hedgehog. You had a hedgehog? I, I had a hedgehog named Iggy. As in Iggy Pop. That's fantastic. You know, here in England, hedgehogs are big business. 
Yes, but I'm not talking about the regular British hedgehogs. These are pygmy hedgehogs that sit in the palm of your hand. Okay. First of all, I, uh, the only reason why I have this was because I'm deathly allergic to everything else, and uh, my girlfriend at the time wanted a pet, so she suggested it. We got it. Worst pet ever. Why? Well, first of all, if you have the thing sitting in the palm of your hand and it hears a, a noise or it gets spooked in any way, shape, or form, it goes from being this cute little thing in the palm of your hand to being a spiky hand grenade that goes off in your hand. <laughs> but that's not the worst of it. The major form of protection that a hedgehog has is, what would you say? Uh, it's, it's, I would say it's, it's spiky little thingies. Right. But it's not like a porcupine where when you get pricked by one of its little spiky thingies, it comes off and sticks in your hand, or in many cases, the dog's snout that when chasing it. Um, they, the, the quills don't come off. What they do is they eat their food, and then they vomit their food oh, onto their backs. Oh, 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 oh. And the bacteria builds up such that when you get pricked by one of their quills... It gets infected. Oh. How's that for a slow burn long game strategy? No. Oh. Well, I'll give them your patient animal, I guess. Uh, but, uh. but if you put one down on the ground, it will do a, a course around the room. It will follow the perimeter of the room so that it understands what the uh, dimensions are of wherever it is. Because it's too scared to be stuck out in the middle because that's, you know, where hawks sweep down right. and scoop it up. Right. Um, and that's what this dog from Boston Dynamics is reminding me of. Because we're looking at its obstacle avoidance data. And what it basically does is it scans the room, figures out the dimensions of it before it walks around it okay so it's like my Roomba exactly <laughs> okay we got a new co-producer on this week's show uh-huh it's actually an old co-producer Kevin Waghorn had messaged me to say hey by the way I was a co-producer on like five episodes uh, I don't remember getting a shout out oh. so I, I went back through and two things happened one we did give him two shout outs of the five for his $25 an episode okay. but the nature of Patreon is that if you support the show on, on episode one by episode two or three you sort of drop off the, the top the, the, the top fold of the newspaper sort of thing where I don't see you anymore it's like you're, it's like a Twitter feed if you're not there at the uh, the moment you look at it, well, you get pushed down. Right. So, Kevin, we apologize. Kevin's uh, been a, a big-time supporter of the show, as has Michael Rosario, who also put $25 down to support the big show. And he did not set a lifetime limit. So we're going to ding his uh, credit card until kingdom come, or he sets a limit. Interns Thomas Foster uh, put $5 a month down with a $256 limit. Rob Rimmer, 5 bucks down with a $241 limit. Don Woodall, $230 limit for his 5 bucks an episode. So we want to say thank you to those guys. And we're still waiting for a proper pronunciation on Craig Schlegelmilch's $3 an episode contribution. Okay, hang on, let me just have a look. I may just be pronouncing it correctly, and he feels no need to fix it. looking at it here. Schlegelmilch. Your wife's German. She should be able to help you with that. Schlegelmilch. Yeah. Craig, help us out here. And you can help us out as well. We'd really appreciate it. It keeps the show on the air. The money that we get from the big program gets plowed right back into it. You go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link. You can support us via Patreon, where you can set a limit per episode, or you can just send us a flat dollar fee sort of thing like they do via our PayPal account as well. Can we talk about Rob Eschling? Who? Uh, Rob here, who has promised $3 an episode, but he's got a $2 limit. Wait a minute. How does that work? I I don't know. I was uh, I was in the Sahara Desert once, 
just follow me on this. And we were with a camel caravan in uh, southern Tunisia, outside the city of Duz. And they took us out into the Sahara Desert to where we couldn't see anything. It was just sky and sand. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is this is a bit weird. I would I would really like something to drink right about now because it's 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 hot. So out of nowhere, all these Bedouins come roaring toward us on horseback, and they've got you know the full getup and the swords and all the rest of it. And then a guy jumps off his horse and runs toward me. I think that's it. I'm dead. I'm either going to be taken hostage or he's going to just you know chop my head off. And he opens up his his bag and he reaches in and says, "Coke. I could buy one Coke for two dollars or two Cokes for five dollars." Ah, cheaper than London. Yeah, that's that's true. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code three two three three nine. 19 Nerd. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.